it's so good to see all of you. I hope, it's crazy to think that y'all are still in the second nine weeks and still in the first semester, uh, but I hope everything in classes is going okay. It's weird to think that y'all are about to do exams and everything, but know that uh, we are praying for you as you gear up for that, what, next week, right? Uh, but as, as we enter into 2021, we really just want to set the stage for a great year, okay? And, and so something that was really on my heart uh, coming into 2021 was the idea that we need to refocus, right? Not just us as a ministry, but us as individuals. That includes myself, right? So as we start off uh, this semester, we're going to dive into a series called Refocus, where we're going to talk about the importance of scripture, the importance of prayer, the importance of community, the importance of worship. And we're going to highlight all these things and unpack why is it important for us to be engaged with these things, to be active in a relationship with God. Now, I, I think it would not be untrue to say that 2020, for a lot of people, was a year that was not expected, did not go as planned. But I would also say that uh, when it comes to people's relationship with Christ, I would say that that also didn't go as planned for a lot of people. Uh, I know several students uh, that I've talked to said, you know, I went into 2020, you know, really wanting to hone in and focus on my relationship with the Lord, and that just didn't happen. With everything that happened in 2020, I just didn't focus on God. My relationship with God either wasn't there at all, it was non-existent, or it wasn't where it could have been or should have been. For some people, it, you know, it was just a little off track, out of routine, and you still managed, but to some degree, I think 2020 was a hard year physically, emotionally, but also spiritually. And so as we go through this series, we want to refocus. Here's why. You know, there's a lot of hype coming into 2021 that, yes, we're out of 2020. 2020 is done. It's in the past. Thank God we don't have to live through 2020 again, all the crap that happened. And it took six days for 2021 to be a mess. <laughs> 2021 had no promises attached to it. COVID didn't go away. And there was never a promise that was attached to 2021 saying, hey, this is going to be a great year, a year without troubles, a year without difficulty. This is going to be the easiest year. That, that was never there. I think a lot of people played it up to be 2021 is going to be this great, fantastic year compared to 2021, but that promise is not anywhere to be found. I don't know where people got this promise from. And I think a lot of it was false hope or just people hoping that surely it couldn't get any worse. But the thing is, January 1st wasn't just a reset button, right? Life continues. January 1st was just another day. And so how, if there's no promise attached to 2021 that it's going to be this better year that's just far beyond expectations, far greater than 2020? How do we ensure that 2021 is a great year? Right? How do we look at 2020 and ensure that we're walking into a year that's going to be our best year yet? And I'm going to argue over the next four weeks that the way we ensure that is by refocusing our lives on on the Lord. You see, all throughout Scripture, 
Jesus tells us specifically in, in John 16, 33, that there will be troubles in this world. And specifically as believers, you will encounter trouble in this world. But then on the other hand, you have a, a verse like James 1, 2 that says, be joyful in these troubles. Right? And we might ask ourselves, well, how can we be joyful in troubles? That just doesn't seem to make sense. You know, I, I've been, you know, I really enjoyed reading some, some people's posts on Facebook as 2020 ended and several people just posting, man, like 2020, yeah, there was troubles, but it was one of the greatest years of my life. Like, how do you get to that point? How do you get to a point where you can, everything around you could be crumbling, but you're still having the best year yet? How do we get to that point? But what a lot of people may not have noticed is why these people were saying they had the best year yet. It wasn't because of what was happening in the world. It was what God was doing in their lives. You see, it didn't matter that things around people were crumbling. People had great years in 2020 because of what God did in their life. And so as we go into 2021 with no promises that it's going to be a better year, the way that you allow God to work in your life, the way that you ensure 2021 is one of the greatest years you've ever had, is you refocus your life on God. And so over the next four weeks, we're going we're gonna to hone into this. How do we make Christ, the, the center aspect of our lives, how do we refocus on Christ? How do we refocus on the importance of scripture, community, worship, and prayer? And, and tonight we're going to start this off but I think talking about the foundation of all of this is the importance of Scripture. So tonight, I, I think as we, as we talk about the importance of Scripture, I think we need to ask ourselves three, three questions. The first one is this. What is Scripture? What is Scripture? And, and to some people, this may seem like an obvious question to ask with an obvious answer. And that is because there partially is an obvious answer that goes along with the question, what is Scripture? Because plainly, as we know it, Scripture is the Word of God, plain and simple. For a lot of people, that, that, that is an obvious answer. But others, you may not have known that. Scripture is the Word of God. If we look at 2 Timothy 3.16, though, we learn something about the Word of God. If you have your, your Bible, flip to 2 Timothy 3, 16. Here's what it says. 2 Timothy 3, 16. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. What we learn out of 2 Timothy 316 is not only is scripture the word of God, but it is inspired by God. Scripture is inspired by God. What does that mean? What, is it, what does it mean for scripture to be inspired by God? And what that means is that, you know, we, we look at scripture and there's many authors of scripture. There's many authors in the Old Testament and New Testament. But what it means for the word of God to be inspired by God is these people like Moses and David and Isaiah 
in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Timothy, all, all of the authors of Scripture, God revealed his word to them. They weren't just sitting there writing their own words and deciding what they wanted to say and making stuff up. God revealed to the authors of Scripture his redemptive plan and instructions. God revealed his plan to them. They didn't just come up with this stuff on their own. Now, there, were, there was a lot, frankly, that went into being a biblical author. Right? If we look at Old Testament authors, there was a major requirement that they had to have. And they had to clearly and evidently exhibit the presence of God in their life in a clear, mature relationship with him. You look at Moses. And Moses, God clearly spoke to him. When Moses goes to Pharaoh, it is very evident that God is speaking to him because everything that God speaks to Moses and Moses then repeats happens. Right? There was no question that Moses had the presence of God living in his life. When you look at the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, when you look at the lives of the prophets, Samuel, there's a bunch of prophets. And these people would go to the people and proclaim the word of God and oftentimes would warn the people of God like, hey, red flag, you're not following God the way you should, and this is about to happen if you don't turn back and refocus on God. And it's crazy what would happen is the people would just brush them off and say, oh, that's no big deal. You're just some Jesus dude who doesn't know what he's talking about. Why would you be telling me that Babylon's going to come conquer Israel or Judah? Forty years later, we're marching with fish hooks in our mouths. Seriously. Like we're being let off. Babylon came and conquered us because we didn't turn back to God like, like the prophet said. Right, so the prophets clearly exhibited the presence of God in their life. Then you look at, at kings like David and Solomon who clearly walked with the Lord. And so the, these weren't just random people who decided, oh, I'm going to write a story about God. These were people who clearly exhibited a relationship with God, had a close relationship, who listened to God, who were inspired by God, and who wrote the words that God gave them. Then you look at authors in the New Testament. And there's a very clear characteristic that authors of the New Testament had to have, especially to be an apostle. You had to have a direct relationship with Christ. Not like, let's just be clear, like we may have the gift of apostleship, but to be a biblical apostle like Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you had to literally be with Jesus. Paul was the only caveat of that, right? We, we call Paul an apostle because of the, the uh, dramatic experience that he had when, when God met him and blinded him and, and converted him. But everyone else in scripture who was an apostle in the New Testament was literally with Christ when Christ was walking the earth. And so these people had a very clear characteristic and very clear uh, quality that they had to meet in order to be a New Testament author. And then you have other authors in the New Testament who came out of Paul, who Paul clearly discipled. So these people weren't just random people sitting in a church or sitting at home writing a letter about God. These were people who were listening to God, who devoted their whole life to God. 
who listened to God, who were inspired by God, who had a close relationship with him. And we see evidence of this. Because while the Old Testament and New Testament are a compilation of many different stories, there's one storyline. You may not have ever seen this. There's one storyline, and the, the Bible is one story. And it's the story of God's redemption. There are other sub-stories, like Daniel in the lion's den, Noah in the ark, Adam and Eve. And then you go into the New Testament, there's other stories in the Gospels and the, the letters that Paul writes, but they all form one large storyline of the redemption of the world, the mission of God. For example, you look at Genesis. And it doesn't take but a couple pages for God to begin writing this redemption story when Adam and Eve sin. In Genesis chapter 3, God says, uh, there will be someone who will come and crush the head of Satan. I will redeem the earth. Then you look at the story of Noah. And God says, I may be washing out the majority of the earth, but I'm not done yet. I'm not finished yet. You look at Abraham. And, and the, the promise that God had with Abraham to bring forth his promise of redemption through Abraham. And then you, you begin to look at the promises that God made David about bringing forth the Messiah, the Savior, through him, through his line. And then you get into the New Testament, and it's not hard to miss the story of God's redemption. As you get into the Gospels of, of Jesus coming, God sending his son to redeem the earth and, and Christ dying for us. Like, these are all individual stories, but they all make a broader story of God's redemption. And if we were to continue adding books to the Bible, which we're not, your life right now would continue each and every day to add to the story of God's redemption of the world. God's not finished yet. We're living through today, and today's not the end of times. And Lord willing, we'll, we'll wake up tomorrow and we'll realize God's not done yet. God wasn't finished with us yesterday. There's still more to be done. God is still redeeming. But ultimately, when we look at the, the, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, we continue to see the story of God's redemption. And people get really scared of Revelation because it talks about the end times and Literally how the, the world is going to come to a close and how God is going to come back. But it's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story for those who are in Christ. Because what the story of Revelation is, is God's final redemption of the world. God coming back and making the old new. And so scripture is the story of God's redemption. The scripture is also, as 2 Timothy said... Scripture is also a guide for life. Scripture is meant to be given to us as a guide, uh, an, an instruction manual, a roadmap of how to walk through life, how to live. Second Timothy says it, it was given to us to teach us. It wasn't just given to us to read and go, oh, that's a cool story. Daniel and a lion's den. The lion somehow didn't eat him. Or, wow, God flooded the earth and put a rainbow over the sky. Like, that's not what it was for. The word of God was given to teach us, teach us how to live. You know, a lot of scripture was given to us so that we can learn from the mistakes of those who have come before us. 
You know, there's a lot of people in the Bible who were imperfect. The, the Bible is, every page has an imperfect person on them. And the perfect word of God is made up of imperfect people to teach us and to show us God's redemption. So that's in a nutshell. I mean, there's a lot more to what scripture is that would go far beyond what you or I could understand. But what we need to understand is scripture is important. Scripture is important. And I think we need to ask ourselves, if scripture is important, why is it important? Not just why is it important in and of itself, but why is it important to follow? And simply put, just as the, the previous question, the answer simply is because it's the word of God, right? It's important because it's the word of God. That's why it's important. It goes beyond that, though. To understand that God would not have given us scripture if it wasn't important. You think God would have wasted thousands of years uh, talking to these guys and saying, hey, <laughs> here's my word. Live by it. Learn from it if it wasn't important. Like Jesus, literally in the New Testament, talking about the word of God, talking about how important it is, talking about how we should allow scripture to challenge us and reform us, to teach us. Do you think Jesus would have wasted his breath? He had a million other things he could have gone and done. But no, instead he, he, he paused and he talked about how important the word of God was. Because it is important. But also, scripture is important because it allows us to understand the heart of God. Scripture is important because it allows us to understand the heart of God. As you read scripture, you begin to understand who God is. You, you begin to understand his love. You begin to understand his plan. You begin to understand his promises. You can't know God Unless you're in his word. It's plain and simple. You can't know God unless you're in his word. Because as you read scripture, you come across verses like John 3.16, where it says, For God so loved the world. And you get a picture of what it looked like for God to love the world. And you read that, and you allow that to sink in about, man... The level of love that God has for me. And you begin to see, as you read scripture, you understand the story of God's redemption, his plan, his mission of redemption. And you begin to see how that story of redemption wasn't just a general one, but it was an individual plan for you and for me. Of how God is not just working to redeem the world, but he's working to redeem you. So scripture is really important for us to understand who God is. Now a lot of people uh, accuse God of being an angry God, a mean God. But I would argue that if that's where you're at, you really haven't read this. Because if you read the word of God, you, under, you begin to understand his heart. And that God is not a God who's out to get you. He's not a God who's out to hurt you. He's a God who wants to redeem you. He's a God who loves you more than anything else. Loves you more than his own son. 
He sacrificed his son for you because that's how much you meant to him. But you also begin to learn that there is someone who is an opposite of God. You know, I, I think American Christianity has done a, a terrible disservice by only focusing on God. I, I think too often Christian leaders don't open up and teach from the word of God. And they just teach you about the love of God and teach you how God is loving. And they don't tell you that, hey, just as God is loving, Satan is evil. And so when bad things start to happen in, the li- in your lives and other people's lives, and you think, well, I've been told about this God who is loving. And if I trust in God, he loves me and, and his blessings will come. And, and we haven't opened up the word to see that, hey, just as God loves me, Satan hates me. And Satan's out to destroy me. Just as God wants to redeem me, Satan wants to destroy me. The only way we can know the nature of God and know the heart of God and and understand what's truly at work in our lives is if we read the word of God. If we are in the word of God, if we view scripture as important. The other thing that scripture allows us to know is the voice of God. Scripture allows us to know the voice of God. You know, Scripture says that the voice of God is like a still, small whisper. Now, I, I can remember growing up, uh, I used to think that God was this person that had like this loud, booming voice. And that if God was going to speak to me, he was going to talk to me in this loud, like, can't miss it voice. But as you begin to, to read Scripture, you see that God speaks peace. He speaks calmness. He's a still small voice. Now, don't get me wrong, God can get your attention in many different ways, but it says the voice of God is a still small whisper. But you also can't know the voice of God if you're not in the voice of God. Right? The word of God is God, his word, his voice speaking to us. And if you're not in the word, you don't know who to listen to. You don't know what God's voice sounds like. You don't know if God is speaking to you because you don't recognize it. You cannot recognize the voice of God if you are not reading his word, if you're not just completely immersed in his word. Also, scripture is important because it provides instructions for life. And we, we all want the promises that God promises. We all want the blessings that are in scripture. We all want to live lives that are full of love and, and joy and happiness and peace. Like we, we want these things. No one wants to live life as a Scrooge and just be mad at everything. No one wants that. People want happiness. People want joy. And scripture tells us how we can receive those things. Right, we were talking right there at the beginning that how, how could people go through a year like 2020 and say, I have joy, I have peace, I have happiness. And how is that possible? See, without scripture, we turn to things of the world. In and of ourselves, we seek the world for happiness. We seek the world for joy. We seek the world for peace. I'm just going to tell you, if you didn't find peace, in 2020, you may have been looking to the world. 
If you didn't find any joy in 2020, you may have been looking to the world because, look, if you're looking to 2020 for joy and for peace and for happiness, you're probably not going to find it. But the, what I've noticed is the people who did find happiness, who did find joy, who did find peace, didn't find it in the world or anything in the world. They found it in Christ. That's where they found it. They found it in the word of God that says, I will not forsake you. I will never leave you. I love you. I'm with you. And people found peace and love and joy. Just think about it for a minute. Whenever you receive happiness from something in the world, it doesn't last forever. It doesn't. You get the new Xbox or the, the, the new iPhone, and you're happy, but then you, that iPhone isn't what is your source of happiness for long. It goes away, and, and then you're looking for the next thing to be that source of happiness in your life. It doesn't last forever. But what Scripture says is that if we will seek the Lord and draw near to Christ, he will give us joy. He will give us peace. So when we are walking through troubles, we, we can have the joy that James talks about, joy in the midst of suffering. See, James doesn't say that if you seek the world that you can have joy in the midst of troubles. James talks about how if you draw near to Christ, you can have joy. And all throughout Scripture, Scripture doesn't talk about the joy that comes from the world. Scripture talks about the joy that comes from the Lord. And I think that's worth noting. There's another thing that we have to do, though, when it comes to Scripture. You have to read the text. You have to read the text. Let me ask you a question. If your parents texted you right now and said, hey, I want you home by 6 p.m., all right, let's say your, your parents texted you at 5.30 and said, hey, be home by 6. And let's say you never opened that text. You never read that text. How well could you follow the instructions? How well could you listen? If you're in a relationship, right, your boyfriend or girlfriend, they text you and you just never open the text. You never read their texts. How well could you communicate with them? There wouldn't be a ton of communication, especially amongst Gen, Gen Z. There's not a whole lot of communication that goes outside of texting or Snapchat, right? Like, if we're just being honest, there's a lot of, com the majority of Gen Z communication goes between Snap, I guess it's really Snapchat now. And so if you're not reading the Snapchats or you're not reading the text, you're not really communicating that much. And it's the same thing when it comes to the Word of God. If you're not opening the Word of God... How can you follow the instructions that God has given us? How can you know God's voice? How can you know what he's promised us? How can you know what he's given us? How can you know who he is? Man, if a, if a, a, a new phone number texts me, I don't know who it is until I open the text message. You have to read the text to know who the person is. You have to read scripture in order to know who God is. So scripture is important. It's important to follow it. It's important to read it. And so if scripture is important and it's important to read it, then 
the, the final question I think we have to ask ourselves is how should we read it? How should we read Scripture? And the first part of this is that we should read Scripture in context. We should read Scripture in context. Here's what you should not do. You should not just open the Bible and start reading. Do not turn to page one and just start reading. Don't do it. Take time to understand. In in my Bible right here, uh, and this is my smallest Bible that I have, uh, and my simplest Bible that I have, but even in this Bible it says Genesis. The author is uh, Moses. And that it was written between 1450 and 1410 B.C. And then it begins to give the context of the content. And it does that for every single book. And some of the other Bibles I have, there's literally commentary below each verse that says, here's what's happening in this verse. Here's why they wrote this scripture this way. Yeah, it may not make sense to you in 2021, but here's why this example was fitting in 450 BC. All right, so understand the context. Don't don't put yourself in a position where you're reading scripture, have no idea what it is, because you don't understand the context. But here's what you also shouldn't do. You also shouldn't just jump to a verse, read the verse, and go, woohoo, this verse. And I'm going to hone in more on that in a minute, but I want to unpack how the Old Testament and New Testament were, were written. Honestly, if you've not read scripture or read much of scripture before, you need to start in the New Testament. The New Testament is what's going to be more familiar to you. The Old Testament, you know, a a lot of people struggle with the Old Testament and struggle with the question of how is it uh, applicable to me? And, And the Old Testament is full of a lot of history. It's almost like a history book, but at the same time, while there's a a ton of history, you could be reading one book, which is history, and the very next book you could be reading is prophecy, and you don't read the two the same. There's a lot more that goes into reading history, which you would read more literally, versus prophecy, which is talking about more of an abstract idea that God is trying to get across to his people. And so, you know, a lot of times just reading it straight through isn't the best way to do it. But the Old Testament is also uh, not written in chronological order. So if you just start reading, you might get there and you'd be like, whoa, I thought we were a lot further back and now we're 500 years forward. And then the next book, we're going 500 years back. They're grouped by genre, history, poetry, prophecy. And so as you're reading these books, you have to understand, one, the context that it was written to, who it was written to. Because the people that the the book was originally written to dictates how the author spoke different words. And sometimes it depended on the language that it was written in and why they used certain words because of what it meant in that culture. Whereas the New Testament is written much more uh, almost like an a biography of, of Christ. And then almost as, uh, not almost as, they are written as letters to churches as you get into the epistles, the you know, Romans and, uh, and Acts. 
where, where Paul uh, in Romans and 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and so on, where Paul is writing to these different churches. But as you read those books, you have to understand why Paul is writing these certain things to those churches and using different examples. And once you begin to understand those things, then you can start to ask yourselves, now how does this apply to me? Because then you've understood why the author was writing the way he was. You need to read around the verse. That's what I'm saying. Is you don't just jump into Scripture, read one verse, and make assumptions off that one verse. I'll give you an example. Jeremiah 29, 11. Right? I don't have it on the screen, but it's a very popular verse. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in the future. Right? Uh, here's the problem with that verse in the way we use it is we cherry pick it. Everyone knows what cherry picking is, right? We just cherry pick it. We, we just go pick it and go, oh, this is a great feel-good verse. God has great plans for my life. He's going to prosper me. But that's wrong. If we read around the verse, we, we understand how Jeremiah wrote that verse. Where the nation of Israel was in captivity. Right? God was not making a promise to Israel not to to, that they were just going to have this easy, prosperous life. God was saying, look, you're in captivity and it sucks right now. And it's not about to get any better. You're going to be here for a while, so get comfortable, but I'm not done with you yet. You're going to serve your time in captivity because you didn't listen to me and you weren't walking with me and you walked yourself into this hole. But I'm not done with you yet. You may feel like your life is in shambles right now, but I'm not done with you yet. And so as we begin to read the context, it shifts. It, begun, it changes from this verse that we look at and we go, oh, God's just going to give me a prosperous life to, oh, man, when, when things are really getting tough, I can remember the promise that God gave the nation of Israel that he wouldn't abandon me, that he has a plan for me. And even though life is tough right now, there is hope. There is a future and God is working for my good in that. We look at other Old Testament scriptures like the book of Leviticus. Everyone's favorite book of the Bible. Um, except for me, it's my least favorite. I don't know why everyone else liked it. Um, everyone else thinks it's super entertaining, not me. Uh, but Leviticus is essentially a bunch of laws and a bunch of rules. And that's where a lot of people get the, oh, you shouldn't get tattoos. Right? Because in Leviticus it says essentially not to get tattoos, but eh, I'm sorry, if there's someone who <laughs> agrees with this, I'm about to step on some toes, and I'm sorry, but this is how I interpret it. Uh, when we read Leviticus, we need to ask ourselves, why was God giving them the rule not to ink their body, right? Why was God commanding them to keep their skin clean of markings? As we begin to understand the context of the time, there was a lot of pagan religion that was identified by markings on the skin, right? And so what set the people of Israel apart was that they were not doing the things that the pagan religions did because God did not want his people to be misidentified as people of the world. And so we might ask ourselves, okay, well, does that mean that we shouldn't get tattoos? Um, I have a tattoo on my right shoulder, so if it is, I'm sorry, and I'll ask for forgiveness, but I don't think so. Here's what I think how that applies to our lives. Is that we need to look at the world and identify, okay, what marks someone? 
who is not following Christ. And how can I be the opposite? Let me give you two easy examples. Cussing. Cussing is something that I will argue is something that marks someone of the world. You may laugh and say, well, everyone does it. Well, yeah, everyone does it. Not everyone's a Christian. Vaping right now with students, that's a big thing. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now that that is something that marks someone of the world. People who get drunk, that is something of the world. That is not something that marks someone of Christ. And so how do you mark yourself as someone different from the world? That's what Leviticus is, how, how Leviticus is applicable to us. So as we read scripture, we, we ask ourselves, how does it apply to us? Here's the other thing. As of how we should read scripture is we should read we should read scripture not rewrite it listen to me on this all eyes up here this is probably the biggest point that i need to get across tonight when it comes to scripture we should read it and not rewrite it i'm gonna be very clear in this you are not an author of scripture you are not an author of scripture, and you never will be an author of scripture. I am not an author of scripture, and I never will be. You do not have the authority to change scripture. You don't. Let me key you in on something. Scripture is not the word of God plus your opinion. I'll say it again. Scripture is not the word of God plus your opinion. You... Your, uh, this is something that is completely countercultural today. Your opinion does not matter when it comes to Scripture. Your opinion does not matter when it comes to Scripture. God did not inspire the authors of Scripture in consideration of our feelings. God did not go, hmm, as I tell you to write this, Paul, I wonder how it's going to make people in 2021 feel. That was not how God inspired the word of God. I'm sorry. That's the truth. Our feelings were not put into consideration. Your opinions do not dictate the truth. Let me give you an example to prove it. Just as much as I hate Alabama, I can hate Alabama all I want. It doesn't change the fact that they won the national championship. It doesn't change that fact. And just because I may not like something that scripture says, doesn't mean it's not true. Oh, scripture is not sensitive to culture. Great. How does that prove that it's not true? It doesn't. It just means that you don't like what it says. When people have a problem with the word of God and say God's insensitive, they're not saying that the word of God is false. They're saying that they don't like what it says. It doesn't prove that God doesn't exist or God isn't real or that the word of God isn't true. All it proves is they don't like what it says, that it challenges what they believe, which is exactly what Scripture says, what, what James says it's going to do. It's going to teach us. It's going to challenge us. If you don't like what Scripture says, then that's probably a red flag that you need to reconsider something. 
Let me tell you something. I don't like everything that Scripture says. I don't like it. Scripture challenges me to my core. I'm prideful. And when Scripture says I need to get rid of my pride, I don't like that. When it says I need to be selfless instead of selfish, I don't like that all the time. Because sometimes I want to care about me instead of other people. But that's not what Scripture says to do. And so it's hard. It challenges me. I don't like it. But that's the thing about Scripture. That's why it was given to us. So that feeds into this final point of how we need to read Scripture. We need to read it with a clear mind. You need to read Scripture with a clear mind. You need to remove your bias and remove your opinions. Like, take your opinions out of your mind and set them elsewhere in the room as you read Scripture. Because what you're going to end up doing, if you walk into reading Scripture with your opinions, you're going to misinterpret Scripture. You're going to misinterpret Scripture. God gave us His Word absent of our opinions. And so we need to remove our opinions as we read Scripture to fully understand what it is. Because our opinions are sinful in nature. Our opinions are not always right. Our opinions are flawed. We can be wrong. And God, in His perfect nature, inspired the Word of God. So leave imperfect opinions out of the perfect Word. Again, you're not going to like what it says, and just because you don't like it doesn't mean that it's untrue. Final thing is this. Read it, listen to it, and obey it. Read it, listen to it, and obey it. Again, James in chapter 3 says that if you just listen to the word and just read the word, and you don't obey the word, you accomplish nothing. You accomplish nothing. But if you will read the word and obey the word and listen to it, then you will begin to see radical change in your life. That's the key, though. Do not fall into the assumption that going to church or reading the word will change your life. It will change if you allow yourself to be changed and to obey it. There is a you factor in the equation here. And people say, I read the word, but nothing's changing. What are you doing to change? How are you obeying the word? But if we will be intentional to refocus on scripture, we will begin to walk into one of the greatest years of our lives. If you will refocus on scripture, you will walk into the greatest year of your life. Let me tell you something. It does not take much effort to read scripture. It doesn't take much effort to read scripture. On average, it takes three minutes and 45 seconds to weed, to weed, uh, to read one chapter of scripture a day. That's it. Surely we have three minutes and 45 seconds in a day that we can read one chapter of scripture. That's all it takes. And here, I'm going I'm to make it easy for you too. I'm going to help you on this. I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm going to help you. To try to help you get in a routine of reading scripture, something that we're doing this year is a scripture reading plan. You may have seen 
every day since January 1st. We've posted it on our Instagram and Facebook stories. Every day there's, there's a story that says refocus 2021 scripture reading plan. And in the middle it says John, right now it says John, I think it's 9 today, John 9. Yesterday it said John 8. The day before it said John 7. So each day, Monday through Friday, we're reading a different chapter of John right now. And once we finish John, we'll go to the next book. And right now we're just sticking in the New Testament. We're going to read through the New Testament in a year. And then we'll get to the Old Testament next year. And then on Saturday or Sunday, if you miss a day, no pressure. Saturday and Sunday are catch-up days. So if you're like, man, I haven't started yet, that's great. Start reading. On Saturday and Sunday, read the first 11, verse, or first 11 chapters. On Friday, we'll be at John 11, and Saturday and Sunday are meant as days for you to catch up. So the opportunity is there before you to take advantage of that. So if you walk through 2021 and never really got in a routine of reading scripture, it's on you, not anybody else, because the opportunity is before you to take advantage of it. But also, in order to read the word, you have to have the word. And so here's what I'll tell you. Is if you don't have a copy of the word of God, if you don't have a Bible, I will buy you one. And I'll have it here next week for you. If you want a Bible, let me know. I will buy you one. Because I think it's that important for you to read the word of God. But again, if you will commit to refocusing on scripture, I promise you, you will begin to see changes in 2021. And God will make this the best year of your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for this evening and just all the, the ways that you have walked with us through the past year. Well, 2020 was a tough year, but nevertheless, you never stopped walking with us. You never left our side. And as we enter this new year, Lord, we know that that promise still stands true, that you are walking with us each step of the way. But Lord, for many of us in 2020, we lost focus of you and we lost focus of our relationship with you. So Lord, draw us back in. Help us to refocus. Lord, specifically today, help us to refocus on your word. Help us to refocus on scripture and the importance of scripture and how your word can change our lives. Help us to understand your word and apply our word, to listen to your word with Lord, I thank you for each student that's in here tonight. Lord, I thank you for the way that you love them. Lord, I know many students in here don't know your love. And some don't think you love them. So, Lord, I pray for all of these students, but especially those students, Lord, that you would just show them your love. That you would reveal yourself to them. Reveal your promises, reveal your goodness, reveal your presence in their lives. Lord, I know you have great plans and purposes for every student in here. I pray that through your word, you would help them to realize that. Lord, as we go through this next song of worship, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would challenge that is to 
pour into their lives and they get to share your word. And I pray that you bless the rest of our time today as you bless our conversations with small groups, Lord, that you would speak to us and begin to change our lives. In your name we pray. Hey everyone, this is Nathan Sell, the youth pastor at Destin United Methodist Church. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. My prayer is that the Lord would use this podcast as an opportunity to speak life into you. I hope all of you know the love that the Lord has for you and that you are experiencing His blessings each and every day. God bless you, and thank you for listening.